Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. I want to ask you to turn to Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bible this morning, Judges chapter 6. While you're turning there, I will begin with this question. How often have you experienced feelings of insecurity? A lot of times we talk about insecurity, um, whether it's fair or not, our mind often goes to junior high girls. Um and again, I'm not even saying that it's fair because it's not that junior high boys aren't also insecure as well, or high school boys, high school girls, or middle-aged adults, male or female. When was the last time that you can remember, or how often have you experienced feelings of insecurity? Let me, let me define that for you just a little bit. Insecurity is an emotion within us that causes us to feel unworthy, unwanted, fearful, full of self-doubt. And it's one of those things that if it isn't overcome, it often results in full-blown feelings of anxiety. Insecurity has three main causes. Trauma, failure and rejection, and perfectionism. Some of you You have experienced trauma. Maybe you've been abused, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse, or maybe you've been abandoned. You've experienced some kind of tragedy. And as a result of that, you have emotional scars that have always kept you from feeling good enough. Others, maybe it's something totally different. Maybe it's in that second area of failure and rejection. Maybe you tried out for the team or the squad and you got cut, or you maybe you applied for the job and it went to somebody else, maybe you didn't get invited to the party or didn't get asked to the dance and you've struggled to overcome those feelings of rejection. Maybe it's the third thing, perfectionism. That's the cause of your insecurity. You feel insecure not because of someone else's standards or what someone else thinks about you, but because you don't meet your own high standards. Regardless of what your cause is, the cause of your insecurity what happens is is we begin to think negative thoughts about who we are i'm too fat i'm too skinny i'm not attractive enough i'm not smart enough i'm not successful enough no one would want me and when we begin to think like this we begin to destroy ourselves emotionally it's as if if you can take your your mind to one of the 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 Home remodeling shows and they go in for the, you know, the, the fun day, demo day, and they take the sledgehammers and they just begin to just beat the crud out of stuff. That's what we do to ourselves emotionally when we choose to live in those feelings of insecurity. We're just pounding away at who we are on the inside. And what happens is that then comes out on the outside as well. We begin to destroy ourselves emotionally and then we can become a victim to these negative self-thoughts. What I mean by that is these negative things that we think about ourselves can cause us to believe that we can't achieve, that we can't succeed. What, what they are doing is they're telling us that we can never be a victor and they keep us living in the victim mentality. 
Before we jump into the heart of today's message, I, I want to share something with you I heard years and years ago, and I've really hung on to it. And I hope it's something that you'll always remember when it comes to our feelings of insecurity. It's not what we think about ourselves that feeds our insecurity the most. It's not what others think about us that feeds our insecurity the most. It's what we think others think that feeds our insecurity the most. Last week, we looked at a man by the name of Ehud in this series out of the book of Judges who was crippled with physical disability. And because of his disability, it would have been easy for him to live in the victim mentality, but he overcame and became a victor. Today, we're going to look at another of Israel's judges, a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon was erect with emotional insecurity. But despite his insecurity, God chose him over all of the emotionally stable and strong men in Israel God chose him to deliver them from being, as a nation, constantly robbed by nomadic raiders that lived to the east of them. In Judges chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And so the Israelites would plant their fields... And then it would be harvest time. The Midianites would come in and, and the Israelites would have to pack up and leave again. And so they're, they're, they're packing up the stuff in a house one day. And the little boy says, Daddy, where are we going? He says, we're going back to the rock condo that we've lived in for the last six summers. Because they had to move into the mountains and hills to get away from the Midianites. Verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. The Midianites, what I would say is, the way to understand them in this passage is, they were like seasonal allergies. You can expect the same irritation at the same time every year. Because whenever it was harvest time, they would come in and they would strip the land bare of all of the crops that the Israelites had planted. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And so here we have the individual that we're going to look at. Gideon ultimately becomes a judge, and he's, he's the one that we're, that we're using today as our, as our example. And the Bible tells us here that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. He wasn't threshing wheat in a wheat press, nor was he treading grapes in a wine press. So you can kind of read into this that he's doing things the wrong way, and there's obviously a reason here. You see, the way that you threshed wheat was you, you would get somewhere up on a high spot where there would be some breeze, and they would throw the wheat up into the air, and the husks would be blown away, and the wheat that was usable would fall back down, and they would pick it up. Gideon is in a wine press. He is in the lowest spot that he could find, and not only in the lowest spot, but down in a hole in the lowest spot. Because, as we see, Gideon is hiding. 
verse 12. While he's hiding, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, as a pastor, I know that not only my expectation of me, but your expectation of me as well, is I should always be striving to develop the attributes of God. This is where I may succeed because this looks a lot to me like God has the attribute of sarcasm. Gideon is hiding in the wine press and the angel of the Lord, who actually, as we read on, we find out is, is God himself comes and calls him a mighty hero. It's like going up to someone that just filed bankruptcy and they're getting financial counseling and saying, hey, you financial genius. That's exactly how God comes to Gideon. In this passage. But here's something that we've got to learn about God. The people that God chooses to make the victors. Are former victims. Who like Gideon were hiding in their insecurity. So how did Gideon overcome the victim mentality. That is so often the result of emotional insecurity. And and then more importantly how do we. We're going to look at him, but we want to be able to, to pick out the things from his story so that we can know how do we overcome emotional insecurity that we're dealing with so that we don't allow ourselves to live in the victim mentality as a result of it. And, and I see three things this morning on how to overcome emotional insecurity in the story of Gideon. The first is this. We've got to stop living in the past. If you're ever going to overcome emotional insecurity, you've got to stop living in the past. Look at verse 13. We, in verse 12... Uh, the angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, before I jump into this, I just want to make sure that, you, that you're clear on, on what he said, but what the truth is. Gideon said, the Lord has abandoned us. But the truth is, is Israel had abandoned the Lord. And that's why they find themselves in the position that they're in. And so Gideon says in verse 13, why has all this happened? What he's saying is, is look, I'm looking at all the past circumstances that have resulted in my hiding in a wine press. And I'm not seeing the Lord with us. And those miracles that I grew up hearing about of, of God delivering his people, I'm not seeing that either. You see, Gideon is someone that because of past circumstances, he's living in the victim mentality. Gideon is what I would make a comparison to religious victims. And there are a lot of those in Christianity today. Religious victims think that God is only good or he's only with them as long as they're experiencing something good. And there are a lot of religious people today who went through something bad in their past, and as a result, they got mad at God. They took the position that, well, either God doesn't exist, or he isn't strong enough to protect me from the bad stuff, and as a result, they've lived in, the, in a religious victim mentality ever since. And this was Gideon's attitude. He says, we've been oppressed for seven years. God must not be strong enough. And then in, in the previous verse, God had called him a mighty hero, and Gideon said, who, me? In, in all of my life in the past, I've, no one's ever confused me with a hero. You see, his thinking about the present 
was based upon everything that he knew from the past. But God didn't look at Gideon for what he was, which was an emotionally insecure victim. He looked at Gideon for what he could be. And I want you to understand something this morning. God hasn't changed how he looks at people. And if you find yourself as one that is struggling in emotional insecurity, and because of that, you're thinking, there's no way God could ever use me. I want you to understand God can use you exactly in the same way that he used Gideon. Because God doesn't look at you for what you were. God looks at you for what you can be. God is showing Gideon his potential. What's true of, what was true of Gideon is true of us today. If we're living in our past... Hiding because of past failures, abuses, pain, or rejection. We're living in the victim mentality. And so we've got to stop living in the past. See, here's what happens. Victims live in the past. Victors learn from their past. If you want to be a victor, you've got to stop living in the past and you've got to start learning from it. The second thing that, we, that we've got to do to overcome this this is to stop making excuses. Not only do we stop living in the past, but we've also got to stop making excuses. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The first thing Gideon does is he starts making excuses as to why he can't succeed in God's calling for his life. My clan, Lord, is, is the weakest in all of Manasseh. I mean, the whole clan's living in caves because they're afraid. And what he's pointing out to, to, to the Lord is, look, we're a bunch of cowards. The, the, whole, the whole tribe is. And I'm the biggest coward in the whole tribe. I, I'm the weakest in my whole family. What he's saying is, is, I'm a nobody from Nowheresville. I have no influence. No one has any respect for me. No one would follow me. Of all the people in Israel, you couldn't possibly have picked someone any weaker and less capable of being a rescuing hero than me. Gideon is a poster boy. For someone with an inferiority complex. He's full of excuses. And if there's one thing that we Americans have turned into an art form. It's excuse making. If we cheat on our spouse. It's because they drove us to it. We couldn't help it. If we get fired from our job. It was our co-workers fault. If our kid makes bad grades. It's the teacher's fault. If our son's football team loses, it was the coach's fault. Or if it wasn't the coach's fault, well, it was the stinking referees for sure. We make excuses because they give us something to hide behind. Because victims are hiders. You see, victims make excuses. But victors accept responsibility. You say, Are you saying that I'm supposed to accept responsibility for... The bad stuff in my past, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is it is up to each one of us to take responsibility to stop living in that junk of our life and stop making excuses and decide there's nothing I can do to change the, the events of my past, but I'm going to accept responsibility 
to shape my life going forward. No matter what caused your insecurity, your insecurity isn't who you are. You can't change your past, but you can take responsibility to not live in it. So we've got to stop living in the past. We've got to stop making excuses. And number three, we've got to stop allowing our circumstances to feed our insecurity. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So so after him living in the past and making all the excuses, God says to him, no, I'm going to be with you and you will be the victor. So go to the next chapter and let's start to see this unfold. Chapter seven, verse one. So Gideon and his army got up early. And went as far away as the spring of Harad. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths to the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you the victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. And he kept the 300 with them. Now, if you just kind of put yourself in Gideon's position here. He's got to go and face the Midianite army. And so he, he gathers up the soldiers as much as he can. And he starts with 32,000. And, and God says, Gideon, I need to talk to you about the numbers. And Gideon's like, whew, God, I agree because we are way outnumbered. And God says, no, 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 you don't, you don't need more soldiers. You, you need less. And so God says, tell everyone if they're afraid that they can go home. And I don't know, this probably isn't actually how this actually happened. This is just kind of the way I kind of see it, you know, in my mind, the story unfolding. And so Gideon says to, to his right, right-hand guy, okay, tell everybody, I can't watch this. So you go tell them, look, if you're afraid at, at all, you can go home. And so Gideon turns his back and his, his guy goes and tells them. And, and then without looking, Gideon says to him, okay, what's the number? And the guy says, 22,000, and Gideon thinks, okay, uh, we only lost 10. So, so we got 22,000, and this guy says, no, 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 no. 22,000 is the number of how many were afraid. You're only left with 10,000. So Gideon says, well, my pastor says it can always be worse. So we'll go with the 10,000 that we have. And then God says, Gideon, I, I need to talk to you about your numbers. And Gideon's thinking, okay, God, you saw it too. So I'm so glad to hear you, you know, that you're concerned about it because we're way outnumbered. And so do you want me to like go to another tribe and try to get some more soldiers? And, and God says to Gideon, no, no, you don't need more soldiers. You need less. 
are still too many. I think again, Gideon says, okay, give them the drinking test that God said to give them. I, I can't watch. And so they do it. And finally, he says to his, to his friend, okay, so what's the number? And the guy says, 9,700. And Gideon says, we only lost 300. And he says, no, 9,700 is how many who went home. 300 is what we've got left. From 32,000 soldiers down to 300. And we're not going to go look at it, but in chapter 8, verse 10, it says that there were 135,000 soldiers in the Midianite army. They are outnumbered 450 to 1. Just the sight of that battlefield could have been enough to be discouraged by. And as bad as this sounds, it's not even the worst part of this battle scene. In a minute, we're going to read some more. But in in verse 20 of chapter 7, it says that when they went to battle, the soldiers had a horn in their right hand and a torch in their left hand. What's missing? Either a third hand or a weapon. They don't have any weapons. They have a torch and a horn. And they go to battle. 300 with torches and horns against this huge army where they're outnumbered 450 to 1. It, it, it kind of, it kind of sounds to me like the board game Clue. Right? So, so, so who did it? I think it was Colonel Gideon in the Midianite camp with the horn. Right? That's all they have as a weapon. It wouldn't have been easy for, I mean, it would have been easy for, for, for Gideon to allow these circumstances to feed his insecurity. I mean, think about this just for a second. It would have been so easy for Gideon in his insecurity to go, you know what? God, I'm so worthless that you send me in outnumbered like this. God, you consider me so expendable that you're taking me and these 300 to just throw us as lambs to the slaughter. But he didn't do that. He trusted God. You see, victims focus on the size of their circumstances. Victors focus on the size of their God. Look at verse 16. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And he said to them, keep your eyes on me when I come to the edge of the camp. Do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke the clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away as Bethshetan near Zerara and to the border of whatever and whatever. After a while, honestly, you just get tired of trying to pronounce words right. It's like reading a 17th century English dictionary sometimes. 
Gideon didn't need to worry about the size of the Midianite army. All he had to do was focus on the size and the power of his God. Gideon's little army, they didn't need swords because God caused the Midianite army to turn on each other. And they killed each other to the tune of 120,000. And according to chapter 8, verse 12 and 28, they routed the Midianites and ended the oppression for the next 40 years, all because Gideon refused to be a victim to his insecurity. Listen. God wants to use you. And where a lot of us make mistakes is we think we're not good enough. Maybe we think we're not good enough because of tragedy, because of the the abuse or or whatever it is that happened. Or we think we're not good enough because uh, we, we failed and we've been rejected or maybe because of perfectionism. Whatever it is, we've allowed our emotional insecurity to cause us to keep hiding instead of trusting God. But I want all of us to know today that God is bigger than our insecurity. Your insecurity wants to keep you a victim, but God wants to make you a victor. If we choose to live in our emotional insecurity, and listen, here's the deal. You get that choice. You get to choose whether you're going to continue living in it or not. But if you choose to live in your emotional insecurity, you will die in it because it's not something that we outlive. But it is something that we can outgrow. And we do it the same way Gideon did. And the same way, same way that everyone else that makes that choice does. We stop living in our past. We stop making excuses. We accept responsibility. And we stop focusing on the size of the circumstances or what happened to us. And instead start focusing on the size of our God who according to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Is able through his mighty power at work within us, which, by the way, is where our emotional insecurity resides, to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. You know what? Maybe, like Gideon, you're racked in emotional insecurity. And you're, like Gideon, thinking there's no way God could use me. Well, that means that you're a, you're a prime target for someone that God wants to use. Because God is looking for victims who are hiding that once he gives them a vision of what he wants to do in them, they're willing to simply trust him to see it come to pass. God is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, a lot of times what happens is, is, is we think, well, in order for, for God to, to be able to use me, in order for God to be able to take me and, and, and my, my jacked up life and my emotional insecurity, and he's going to have to, he's going to do something that is going to make me new. And he's going to change who I am. But you know, when you've already committed your life to Jesus Christ, he's already made you new. And you're thinking, okay, well, then if he made me new, why do I still have this emotional insecurity? 
because we still live in the same flesh that we did before we came to know Christ. And we still are going to face some of those same struggles and temptations and hurts and thoughts. But here's what I want you to get. If you're waiting for something to happen where God's going to come in and, and, and do some new thing in you, you're going to wait a long time. You see, God doesn't want to come in and, and do something new to you. God wants you to understand that you already have everything you need. I want you to go back to chapter 6, and I want you to look at one thing, and we're going to close. Chapter 6, verse 14. So, so God had come to Gideon hiding in the wine press, and he called him a mighty hero. And, and Gideon says, yeah, but I've never seen all this. I don't see God stepping in any time. And verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. see, God wasn't coming in and going to give Gideon some new strength. He said, Gideon, and, and I'm going to go ahead and just, just drop Gideon now and just, I want to talk to you. Here's what God is saying to you. You're enough. You are enough. Just like you are. No matter what you look like. No matter what you've gone through. No matter the junk, the scars, the pain, whatever that has brought you to a place of emotional insecurity. God says you are enough. Go in the strength you have. See, God's not going to come in and give you a new strength. What God wants to do is to watch you begin to trust him. And when you trust him and you go in the strength you have, then you get to see God do amazing things amazing things. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Have you found yourself struggling in insecurity? Physically, sexually abused, and because of that, you just felt like you were never good enough. Maybe you're the one that was constantly left out in school or in, in even in adult friend groups. Other couples that you know get together and go do things and they don't include you. And it makes you feel not good enough and rejected and it's hurtful. Maybe you've just, in your perfectionism, you've set standards so high that you're causing your own insecurity. Whatever it is, you've got to stop living in the past. You've got to stop making excuses. Stop thinking that your circumstances are going to keep you from being usable. God is telling you today, you are enough. You're enough. 
emotional insecurity is something that most other people can't see and it makes it super easy for us to be victim to it and to, to live in the victim mentality because of it. But God wants you to be a victor. Heavenly Father, pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, I, I know that there are many here that are struggling with insecurity. Some in a, to a really great degree. And I just pray, Lord, that today that they might begin to see themselves not in the way that they see themselves or the way others see them or the way they think others see them. God, help us all to see us, to see ourselves the way you do. You don't see us for our past or for our pain. You have a vision for us of what it is that you want us to be, which are, which is a victor, not a victim. Father, I pray this morning that there would be people here that would be willing and desire to walk away from the victim mentality that they're living in because of their insecurity. Give them the courage and help them to realize that they can go in the strength that they have and to become all that you've created them to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name.